Don't laugh, Phil. Okay. I'm going to have a go. Halan wa salan. Welcome to Jordan, our latest destination episode. Welcome to the War Nomads podcast, delivered by War Nomads, the travel lifestyle and insurance brand. It's not your usual travel podcast. It's everything for the adventurous, independent traveler. Did you like that? Uh, yeah, not bad. <laughs> not sure, I'm not sure how we rate that one, but we'll go. <laughs> Phil, tell us, why would you travel to Jordan? Well, as we'll hear in this episode, it's one of the most hospitable places in the world. It's safe. The food is amazing. It has one of the new seven wonders of the world in Petra and the treasury buildings there. There's a mix of Christian and Muslim religion, so it's fairly relaxed compared to some other Middle Eastern countries. And here's something that will surprise you. Large parts of the country look more like the Mediterranean than the Middle East. Well, let's get into it then and hear from our travel experts on this incredible country, including Kay, who we'll hear from later on. And then the cop, he was kind of like chilling over to the side and he saw me and he like waved. And I was like, oh, everyone's so friendly here. So I waved back. (laughs) He like waved harder. And I'm like, wow, what is he, what is he doing over there? So I like waved back harder. And then he was like, no. (laughs) She is a crack up that story later. But let's kick off with Cassandra Brooklyn, somewhat of a regular on the podcast, partly because Phil, she's super knowledgeable, but also I love her laugh. (laughs) She runs escaping NY planning group tours for people who don't like group tours. And they include Cuba, Mexico and Jordan, a country that Cassandra has been to quite a few times now. I sure have, as a solo traveler and uh, also leading group tours there. Is it mystical? Mystical. Did you get that from my website? Yeah, I did. (laughs) 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 Yes, because the trip, I believe it's called Mystical Desert Wonders or something something catchy that hopefully people are searching for. It so is. Like, And I, I wound up in Jordan by chance. I've heard of the country, but I'd never really thought of going. I was going to Egypt to visit a friend and I had some time. And I looked at the map and I was like, huh, Jordan's right there. I wonder what Jordan's like. (laughs) So I asked around and I only found one person I knew that had been there. And he told me it wasn't worth it because he did a day trip from Israel, which is the worst way to go because you're spending, you know, 10 hours on a bus each way to go to Petra. And then you only have a few hours to explore. Um, I thought there'd be more to it. So I started doing a bit of online research, showed up. You know, spent about a week and a half there backpacking on my own, meeting wonderful people. I was late to meet my friend in Egypt because I was having so much fun in Jordan. <laughs> I had such a blast and I've been back a few times since and now I'm leading trips there. It's sort of quite westernised in a way I hear. So, you know, quite open to uh, Western visitors coming as well. And I'm talking about women travelling there specifically. Absolutely. I think it's it's a, it's a wonderful destination in many, many ways, but specifically, it's a great introduction to the Middle East uh, for Westerners and for women specifically. I felt extremely safe all the time. And of course, every woman is going to have her experience and you know, women have to be more careful and women suffer more uh, when they travel. They have to put up with more just being women in, in every country in the world. But in Jordan, I felt extraordinarily safe. And when I've been right, I've written several articles about um, travel safety, actually wrote two for World Nomads, one on travel safety tips to Jordan and one specifically for women. And I was surveying as many women as possible. And I struggled to find women who did have some sort of negative experience just because I didn't want to write it just about like, you know, my phenomenal experience. But Westerners are welcomed in Jordan. 
literally, I was stopped almost every single day on my first trip for somebody to say welcome, whether it was a police officer, whether it was a customs official in the airport, whether it was a shop owner, whether it was somebody just standing next to me waiting for a cab or waiting across the street. They would say welcome to Jordan. They want people to know that they are welcome in that country. Um, They want people to know that they are a friendly country that gets a bad rap because of their position geographically. People wrongly assume that it's unsafe, so they go out of their way to make people feel welcome. I can't tell you how many people stopped me to ask if I needed direction somewhere, ask if I needed help translating to catch a cab, Um, you know, trying to catch a shared car from a busy corner where nobody spoke English to a city that I wasn't sure where it was, you know, multiple people coming together to make sure I get into the right vehicle and translating to the driver and ensuring that, you know, showing me I'm how much I should pay maximum so I'm not being overcharged. And then the gestures that they're making to ensure I get out in the right place and they're showing me how to get to my final destination. So it was, I was blown away with the kindness there in general as a traveler, but also as a, you know, as, as a woman, I felt very safe. Jordanian women are very well educated. They're very independent. Uh, some of them do wear headscarves and that's optional. 100%. Some of them don't. Uh, and they have a lot of opportunity. I'm, I'm not going to speak on behalf of Jordanian women, uh, but from what I've heard from my Jordanian friends there, it, it's, it's a definitely, it's one of the most, if not the most progressive countries in the Middle East for women. Which brings us to one of the things we really want to talk to you about is these programs uh, encouraging Jordanian women to get involved in tourism. Yes, yes. There are a lot of different programs that are being set up. Most of them are in the north and central part of Jordan. And their purpose is to encourage entrepreneurship that creates lasting change in communities. So it's not the Jordanian government trying to set up some new charity model. They're trying to encourage entrepreneurship and enterprise that is creating change in communities. And many of these programs are led by women and support many women. A lot of them have to do with cooking. So leading traditional cooking classes and and helping people create their, their own meals or to create their own products that can be taken back as a souvenir there's also projects that relate to weaving and paper making and pottery and soap making. Uh, so women are earning their income by producing these products that are sold to tourists, but also they are leading these courses to teach uh, travelers their traditional skills that have been passed down generation to generation. In fact, doesn't Jordan have a meaningful travel map? Yes, they do. The meaningful travel map is... It's exactly what this is. These are the, the enterprises. That's what they call it. These meaningful social enterprises that are lifting up communities uh, in a sustainable way. So a lot of these uh, organizations are also dedicated to being um, environmentally sustainable um, and also just sustainable in the sense that it, it, they're not just getting a lump of money from the government and then they're going to burn through that and go away. They're sustainable in the sense that they're, they're creating uh, lasting employment for their communities. So if you go to... Uh, the Jordan Tourism Board's website, they have this beautiful, meaningful travel map that you can click on and you can see these different enterprises on the map and you can see what it's about. And in some cases, it'll link you to their website. In some cases, it'll link you to a Facebook page that's all in Arabic. (laughs) I love your Uh, laugh. (laughs) 
Right. <laughs> so infectious. And so the uh, the last article I wrote for World Nomads, the exploring Jordan from a local woman's perspective, like one of the suggestions that I made is that you can absolutely go on your own to Jordan. I've done it. It's it's fine. It's safe. If you really want to view uh, to visit as many of these female led. Uh, enterprises, you're best off either joining a group tour that includes that or hiring a travel planner or a tour operator to help you uh, include some of those places because many of them are not on the normal itinerary. Um, many of them you're going to need some private transportation and, and a guide or translator to get there, but it's, but they're totally worth Oh, think, and we, of course, we, we visit those on my trip. I know you were going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I think the map is... And if is, you weren't, I'm putting it in. <laughs> yeah. I think a map's a great idea because when I was in Nepal earlier this year, we in Pokhara, we went looking for a women's collective that uh, does uh, weaving and fabric making. And we had to traipse mm-hmm. around the streets looking for it. It was pretty hard to find. So, so a yeah. map like a this map would like be a good idea. A map like that would have been awesome, yeah. Yeah, fabulous. Well, we did mention your website at the beginning of the chat. We've mentioned the, the website at the beginning, at the end of the chat. We'll share it in show notes for you too, Cassandra. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's and, and my, my trips are, they're not just for women. I know some women prefer to travel in all-female trips. My trips tend to get a lot of women because I'm a woman and I prioritize, you know, finding some female guides and visiting female-run enterprises, but they, they really are open to every everyone. And I do want to comment on something that I, I wrote about in the article was, was this interest in female guides. That's been a real struggle because tourism is typically a male-dominated field in Jordan, as it is in the Middle East and as it is in many countries, um, but specifically in the Middle East. And so sometimes you even have an all-female tour going and it can be a challenge to find a female guide on the ground, so they might have to use a male guide. So uh, that's something that I'm prioritizing and I know other tour operators are prioritizing prioritizing that as well. And it's something that travelers should request because it's going to not just make sure you get the experience that you want, but it's going to encourage them to hire and train more female guides because there are very, very few right now. Good advice, Cassandra. And can you expand on that? Yeah, a few. Yeah. Uh, remember when we spoke about women in travel in one of our early episodes as well, and these figures, you know, and that was only a year or so ago, but these figures still stand up. Remembering that globally women make up just over 48% of the world's workforce, okay? But the UN Women's 2010 Global Report on Women in Tourism found that even though women make up a large amount of the tourism workforce, they're mostly represented in service and clerical level jobs and poorly uh, represented at professional and managerial levels. And to add to that, they're earning 10 to 15% less than their male counterparts. And here's a few other facts. Only one in five tourism ministers worldwide um, are women. Uh, women pilots make up only 5% of all pilots worldwide. And there are about 18 to 20% of the cruise industry workforce, but only 5.4% of cruise officers are women. Let's revisit those stats at the end of 2020, okay. see if there's been a shift. Well, Karen Means runs Walking on Travels, and yes, they, this chat does relate to Jordan, but first Karen kicks off explaining what her site is all about. 
Okay. So walking on travel started back in, I believe 2011 now, uh, when I was traveling back and forth to Asia, because I used to be in book publishing and I started bringing my uh, oldest son with me when he was 14 months old and people were asking me, um, how I took him, but more importantly, why I took him with me to Asia. And for me, I was like, well, why wouldn't I, it cost a hundred dollars to sit him on my lap and fly for 15 hours uh, to the other side of the world and go on a trip and let him experience a different part of the world and expose him to new foods and people. And my clients loved seeing him. So he just came along and my husband uh, sometimes got to come and sometimes he didn't. Sometimes I had to hire a babysitter, but it was just a lot of fun. And um, it really shaped, I think, a lot of who he was. He learned how to walk on the Great Wall of China and not a whole lot of kids can brag about that that way. And he still holds it over his little brother's head that he has been to Asia and his little brother has not been to Asia because that is true first world children problems at this point in my my kids lives at least um so the site came about um somewhere in between one of those trips we I was just like you know what I really need to start writing down these stories and kind of it seemed like other parents needed to hear that this is possible I was also hearing a lot of people just talk about Disney and that was the only trip you could take with kids I had no interest in that at the time and I was just saying you know there's a lot more you can do with babies and toddlers than you think you can let's kind of push the limits a little bit and um you know you can still hike mountains you can still do lots of things as so my site just kind of evolved from there and continued to grow and we're almost nine years later uh, looking at it so so you can be an adventurous traveler with children the two things aren't mutually exclusive absolutely not yeah you can definitely be adventurous with your children and i firmly believe that your kids actually make you more adventurous. So your son will remember, well, he will have that anecdote of learning to walk on the Great Wall of China as opposed to having a birthday cake that looked like the Great Wall of China. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So you visited Jordan and we'll get to your personal experience there because I believe that you did that without children. But on reflection, is it a place that is family friendly? Yes, Uh, Absolutely. It is something that we, my husband and I are looking at right now to bring our sons back to because my husband was actually very sad. He couldn't join me on that trip. So we're already looking into when we can go, uh, what time of year and what places we'll take the kids. I have read that uh, they love children, but there's not a lot for kids to do because the children are included as part of the adult family. So they kind of do things as a group. Is that how you operate as well? You don't necessarily look for places that have to have Disneyland as an example. That's exactly right. I mean, when I was there, um, much like the Middle East and the rest of Europe as well, um, there is this community culture. It's all about the family. Well, in the United States, especially a lot of times, children are almost looked at as you know, this inconvenience in a lot of ways when you go places. While when I was in Jordan, they were just a natural part of you know, the environment and the family and the community at large, they were supposed to be there. That was just the natural order of things. You know, I'm like, okay, I just like walked across, you know, parts of Jordan and Palestine. And I was like, oh my gosh, my kids would love this. They would have had a blast and they would have been asking more questions than I ever could. So what were you doing in Jordan then without the family? In Jordan, I was there uh, partially for a conference, but also to kind of get the lay of the land and experience a tour with 
the company Experience Jordan, uh, which was similar to what Cassandra was doing as well. She was doing a different one. Um, so I was on a cultural uh, trip that was really taking us from Amman down to Aqaba, which uh, was seeing a lot of the historical sites of Duresh, the Citadel in Amman, uh, of course, going to Petra, but also Little Petra, staying in lots of Bedouin camps. And um, really getting in with the people and seeing what the community activities that visitors can uh, learn about as in like herding goats and learning how to make your own um, eyeliner from natural wood and other kinds of activities and eating a whole lot of food. (laughs) Yummy food. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can't eat hummus anymore out uh, in the United States. It's just not the same. It's so good over there. What's the difference? I don't know, but it was so good. (laughs) I mean, I'm going to just say like the water, the olive oil. I don't know, but it was just, it was so delicious and creamy. I just, I would eat it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That and the baklava. I mean, come on. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh, the baklava. Yum, yum, yum. So was it a kind of off the beaten track experience? It was a little bit of both. It was definitely, if I had planned a trip myself, I would not have experienced more than half of what was there. We hit the highlights, which um, I wanted to be able to do because I knew my own audience that I write for would want to hit those. You know, you want to hit the, you know, ancient city of Jeresh, which has a lot of old ruins and uh, the Romans came through and everything. Um, you want to hit Petra when you go to Jordan. If you go to Jordan, you didn't go to Petra. I'm not sure if you actually went to Jordan, most people would say. And um, when you're down in Aqaba, of course, you have to jump into the Red Sea and you want to kind of wander around. You want to go to a sook. But what I wouldn't have known to plan for myself would be to go to a woman's cooperative where they are making tons of local products and a lot of refugee women that are coming in from Afghanistan and Syria and a lot of war-torn countries are learning how to make products or do a trade so that they can start their own businesses. We were also able to spend um, more than a full day with one specific Bedouin tribe that really went into how they are now inviting outside guests to come in because it helps them sustain their way of life. We were able to learn why some of these smaller, more locally owned spots are actually much more important to the the economy and also the ecosystem because uh, some of these camps are using so much water that Jordan just doesn't have. Jordan is, I believe, the second poorest water country in the world, meaning they just don't have enough water um, to sustain their own country. So they actually have to buy water and bring it in, which is a very foreign concept for a lot of us because we're so used to just having water coming on our tap at all times. Um, So we just really got to kind of dig into those local organizations and the local way of life in a way that I feel like a lot of first timers going into Jordan probably just hit the highlights. They might have a local meal with a family because they knew how to set that up, just Googling it on the web and then they move on and they're out the door. You've, you've experienced it and you're looking at going back with you, your husband and your children. What kind of adventure will you have this time in Jordan? I would love to do a lot more hiking. Uh, my husband loves to get out into nature and hike and look at rocks and my kids love to scramble up any rock and water formation at all. Um, I believe it's in the spring. One of the Wadi, I think it's Wadi Musa. Um, you can actually hike down into, they're almost like slot caverns. Um, 
And so I want to be able to get there when the water's at a decent level where it's safe to hike through and it's not too hot. I'm really enjoying as part of being, you know, having this opportunity to produce a podcast, looking at some of the countries in the Middle East. And we recently did one on Amman and we chatted to a local blogger there and she was talking about the fact that, look, yeah, we're part of the Middle East, but we're part of it. Get over this fact that everything's the Middle East and it's all really dangerous and you can't can't ever travel there. Absolutely. Jordan, I believe even they'll say they're like the Switzerland of the Middle East. They're just kind of there, you know, hanging out while all the all their neighbors are having, you know, issues around them. But they really are just this wonderful, welcoming people. I mean, if anything, we were kind of this oddity because, I mean, I'm very pale skinned with red hair and a lot of people haven't seen that, I guess, in Jordan, especially um, some of the teenage girls would really, they would come up to me and just ask if they could take a picture or like, they would just want to say hi. And <laughs> I'd just be like, oh, okay, hi. <laughs> Thank you, Karen. And we will have a link to walking on travels in show notes. Now, Karen mentioned the issue Jordan has with water supply, Phil. Mm-hmm. And reportedly, besides the rapid population growth, the impacts of climate change are likely to further exacerbate the water scarcity problem in the future. I say reportedly, do your own research. Do your own research on that. Later in the episode, and not related to Jordan, we will hear from Alex North, who has reflected on climate change and her carbon footprint. But as I said, that's later. More about uh, Alex then. Phil, what's your travel news? Uh, Okay. Uh, If you've ever whizzed across Europe on one of the um, high-speed trains, you'll know how amazing they are. are. I've always preferred them uh, to, you know, one of those quick and dirty flights. Yeah, speaking of quick and dirty, don't get a hamburger on the London to France. Worst oh. one I've ever had in my whole entire life. Really? And I love a burger. Okay. There's a tip. I digress. <laughs> Look, anyway, I love the fast trains for getting around Europe because, uh, you know, you start and finish in the middle of the city so you're immediately where you want to be rather than in some cow paddock on yeah. the back blocks or outskirts of the place that you're trying to get to. But one thing that they did, the very fast trains, was they killed the overnight sleeper train. Any, look, anyone too young to have experienced them, they were really fantastic. You'd be thrown into a four-berth compartment with people you didn't know and then you'd spend all night talking and drinking and making your new best friends in the world. There was one particular uh, trip that I did um, from the north of Spain down. Um, My partner and I, we were sharing a cabin with a flamenco duo. Oh, And the dancer part of the duo was a trans woman. It was just the most amazing. Like, we didn't speak Spanish. They didn't speak English. And we used a Spanish-English dictionary to work things out. But we had most fabulous time. And, of course, they pulled the guitar out and there was So you couldn't script that? No, absolutely not. And you could also only do it because you were on a eight-hour train ride. Yeah. Which fast train would have cut down to about an hour, so you wouldn't have done it. But So they're back, these sleeper trains, because not only are they, you know, a great way to travel, but the whole flight chain thing has um, made people realise that, yeah, there is a better way to travel that reduces your carbon footprint. Like I say, instead of a quick and dirty flight, yeah. let's get on the train. And so now 
now they're like going, well, if I'm going to be on this long distance train and it's going to be several hours, then let's might as well, you know, use it overnight so that I can travel between the two destinations and work on both days rather than wasting a day. So sleeper trains are back and I think it's a fantastic thing. Yeah, I haven't done a sleeper, um, but I love train travel, so I must try that. Sure. Look, a list of the most dangerous and the safest destinations to visit in 2020 has been released. These are always a bit subjective, but I kind of agree with this one, I have to say. Uh, Libya, Afghanistan, Somalia and parts of Ukraine have been declared among the most dangerous, according to International SOS. I've got no objections with that. Yep. Also on the list, some war-torn countries in Africa and the Middle East, uh, including Mali. Yep. Central African Republic. Yep. The the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Yeah, but you can still go there because if you want to go see the gorillas, you go through the DRC. But you have to be careful and make sure you use a reputable yep. uh, tour operator for that one. Uh, Iraq is on the list, obviously. Syria and Yemen. I've got no qualms about that at all. They should not be on your list. But on the safest side, they've uh, named the Nordic nations Finland, Norway, Denmark and Iceland, as well as Switzerland, Slovenia and Greenland, all of them having insignificant travel safety risk. Well, Switzerland's always going to be on that list. Yes. That wraps it up. <laughs> that's it. That's Thank my news. Thank you very much. Kay Kingsman is better known as the awkward traveller, and I quote from her side, Phil, yep. recipe for an awkward traveller. Add one cup of 20-something female, hit a teaspoon of puns and dumb memes on medium-low heat, stir in a couple of plane tickets, train rides and a road triple two, let simmer for an uncomfortable amount of time, pair with two slices of always getting lost and mixing up my itinerary times, use a dash of salt to taste and let's find out why she got the name. Funny story. It's not actually a funny story. I always start everything with funny story and I feel like (laughs) it just like gives people an expectation. It's not that funny, but um, I had just graduated from like my undergraduate studies in like pharmaceutical I don't know. I don't even remember anymore. And I couldn't find a job because I'm just a terrible interviewer and I would like nervous sweat the whole time and not answer questions. So I was just like, well, I have no job and no money. So I just like was just driving around and my friends were like, are you alive? Are you okay? So I started like my Instagram page and I would just like post pictures of where I was, uh, of the places I was, were. I don't know English. It was. <laughs> One of those tenses. And then they'd be like, oh, okay, she's in California. She's alive. Oh, she's in like Arizona now. So that, I guess that's kind of how it started. <laughs> so we're chatting with you because you've just got back from Jordan. How was it? It was, I guess, not what I was expecting. But at the same time, I don't know exactly what I was expecting, but I was pleasantly surprised. Okay. So you don't know what, or didn't know what you were expecting. Now I'm having trouble with tenses. Um, (laughs) So you were pleasantly surprised. What does that mean exactly? Um, I was surprised that there were like a lot of trees. Well, there weren't a lot of trees. That's a lie. But there were a lot of like shrubbery (laughs) and um, the people were very welcoming. um, Like, so that's always a nice feeling. Uh, whenever I go anywhere. And I was also pleasantly surprised that the the prices for food also wasn't like too expensive. Everything else was, but food, food was like acceptable ranges. So how did you travel? Yeah. So I basically did a road trip. Um, I flew into the airport and then I rented a car from the airport and then just kind of circled the country. I guess not circled. 
I went down one main highway and then came back up. But, you know. You are funny. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So what was it? Were you frightened about driving? Were, were the roads in good condition? Obviously, you had to have done some research before you uh, hired a car. Was the process easy? You would think that I would have done research, but I didn't. Um, I just went online and booked a car for the duration of my trip. And um, I guess I'm always a little nervous because I don't want to be statistic, but I'm not a good driver. Like, I don't, (laughs) I'm not that great at driving. I get nervous easily and uh, like, I'm always very skeptical of like road rules and I like forget them sometimes, but like, are you supposed to stop at like a red? You are. Okay. Okay. I'm rambling. I'm rambling. (laughs) But Are you supposed to stop at a red light? (laughs) I think that's kind of a universal thing. Red red means, you know, stop. Red means stop. Yeah. (laughs) So that's kind of um, how I drive, which isn't recommended, but I rented a car, did a road trip. And I would say at least compared to Western driving, what's the word? Etiquette? It wasn't that bad. It wasn't like Jakarta, Indonesia, where like, I don't think there are rules, but for the most part, especially on the freeway, it was very straightforward. So what was some of the great things that you saw and even more importantly, things that you experienced? Okay. I'm going to have to go day by day because my memory is terrible and I'm bad at ranking things by (laughs) favorites. Um, So I think Jarosh was really cool. Um, I've never seen like Roman ruins, I guess, in like real life. That was like my first uh, exposure to them, and that was super cool. I, I headed towards the Dead Sea after that, and then there's like a little branching off road that goes to baptism site of like the Jesus Christ, which is like wow, <laughs> it's pretty big name people over here. Uh, then I went to Petra and then I chilled in the desert for a long time. <laughs> chilled. It's funny because it's a desert. But anyways. Oh, I drove back up the, um, back up through Jordan. Uh, I got a speeding ticket, but that's another story. And then, <laughs> well, to tell the story. <laughs> well, the speeding ticket, slight, slight side note. Um, again, I don't know kilometers. I just guess half the time. And I think the speed limit was like... 60 kilometers an hour. Is that yep. how it's measured? That yep, right. that's it. Okay, I was going 90. Ooh, in a 60 zone. Yeah. Yeah, that's a little bit above. Um, and then the cop, he was kind of like chilling over to the side. And he saw me and he like waved. And I was like, oh, everyone's so friendly here. So I waved back. <laughs> and then he was like, no. He like waved harder. And I'm like, wow, what is he, what is he doing over there? So I like waved back harder and then he was like, no. And he was like pushing his arm to the side. And I was like, oh, maybe he has to tell me something. <laughs> so I pulled, <laughs> I pulled over and he, you know, he walked up to my car and I was like, hi. And he's like, um, where's your license? And I was like, my what? And he's like, your license and registration. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> I'm getting a ticket. All right, let's get back on the road. What were the other things that you saw or experienced that you, you know, are particularly fond memories for you? Well, I don't know about fond, but when I was driving at night, which is something I don't recommend because once you get outside of the city, there's no light. And, but I was, um, and I came across this like random, like village of stray dogs. They were like stray mountain dogs just chilling in the middle of the freeway. 
Um, and they would just bark at my car. And I'm like, I need to go forward. But they were like forming a barricade. It was the strangest, most intimidating moment of my life. So how'd you push through? Um, I barked back. And that seems to work. <laughs> <laughs> now, are you at this point driving on your own or do you have someone with you? Uh, I was driving with my boyfriend. Would you recommend a driving holiday in Jordan? Um, I would. If you're comfortable driving outside, like in a different country, um, I think Jordan wasn't bad. It's probably one of the better countries I've driven in outside of the U.S. Um, All these signs are in Arabic and English. So, I mean, if you speak one of those two, you're good. Any message that you want to give to people that are considering Jordan as a destination? Jordan as a destination, it's really, I think I enjoyed it um, with my boyfriend, but I think it's also a great destination for groups. Um, I can't really speak on traveling solo since I didn't, but I've also heard good things about that. So I feel like in, in general, this is a long message. In general, it's a great, it's a great destination. Funny lady. Well, she says we all know her as the silly travel blogger. Kay is a published author and we'll have links in show notes. Uh, by the way, 60 kilometres an hour is around about 35, 36 miles per hour. And if you get a speeding ticket, you are not covered for it by your travel insurance. Now, Alex North, she's not a climate scientist, nor is she an activist, but she has done some research into why for the globally minded individual, and you mentioned it in your travel news, they mm-hmm. bought but the um, overnight sleepers yep. on trains yep. because people are preferring yep. those. Thinking than, about it. Yeah, than flying. Well, travel is something of a double-edged sword and uh, she's created an infographic reflecting what she has learned. Yeah, I think um, partly how we are going to do this together is to be aware of exactly how much carbon flying and traveling does emit into the atmosphere and to put that in concrete, understandable terms so that we can make decisions and trade-offs in our behavior, Um, then we can at least be prepared as consumers when the time comes that the corporations as well are forced to reckon with climate change. I think that one of the most important things that we should keep in mind is that flying should not be framed as this really glamorous thing that we do lightly. Flying, especially the takeoff and the landing portions, are so, so fuel intensive that it's just not something anybody should be applauding to fly to another city to have lunch and then fly back the same day. That is simply a behavior that we cannot justify anymore. However, and I speak, you know, for myself as an American who was in Germany and, you know, seeing my family comes with a huge carbon footprint. There are certain trips that we simply can't take without emitting a huge amount of carbon into the atmosphere. And I don't know that there are really other realistic ways for somebody to travel across the Pacific or across the Atlantic in order to have relationships with people in other countries in order to still take part in their careers. Um, But to at least be able to think about that and to reflect critically on those decisions, I think is already a good step. Um, as well as making sure that we fly directly whenever we can, that we 
don't load up planes with a bunch of heavy baggage and unnecessary gear that we could perhaps rent on location at the destination rather than, you know, buying a surfboard to bring with us and then bring it back. And then also choosing to use transportation like the locals do when we are at destinations. You know, the flight to some uh, exotic location already comes with a lot of carbon um, carbon emissions. And if we choose not to take taxis, but rather to take the bus or to walk or to bike, we can at least get rid of the carbon emissions on that end of our travel, at least when we're there. This is a problem that has context as well, because it's all well and good to say that you should you know, catch a train instead of flying, as long as you don't live on a massive island like I do called Australia, where you actually have to catch a plane to get off the island to go somewhere else, um, you know, because it's actually quite impractical to consider uh, using container ships only take, you know, a handful of people at a time. Um, so I, I, as much as I as I recognise that it is up to each of us to do the best we can to reduce our carbon footprint. I don't think that we should say that all carbon output is bad and therefore should be stopped. But I think you should, and I agree with you, I think you should not take it lightly. I think you should think very hard about when you take a flight. But I don't think that means that you shouldn't take them. I think it means that you should minimise your use of them and think of these other alternatives when you get somewhere. Absolutely. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. I think we live in a globalized world and many of us have friends and families and careers spread all around the world. And to just tell people you can't fly because it's bad for the environment isn't realistic. Most people are not in a position where they can just step outside of this system. Um, That's not realistic to ask people to do that. Furthermore, I think as travelers, you know, we know that there are so many wonderful things that come with travel um, that just opens our perspective and makes us more empathetic and compassionate for different ways of life. And we as consumers really do have an incentive to preserve this magic of travel for future generations. You know, we want to make this be possible for our children and our grandchildren and our our great-grandchildren. We don't want them to also never be able to travel, and we also don't want them to miss out on seeing the wonderful wonders of nature that we've been able to see. And and those benefits are not just one way either. You know, uh, travel has benefits to the place and the people that is travelled to, if you know what I mean. It has, you know, it has benefits for the host countries as well. It's like an enormous economic driver. It's lifted millions of people out of poverty. The other thing, and I, I hope you agree with this as well, is to measure travel only by its carbon uh, output is wrong because there are many other benefits by which it should be measured. Yes, that is that is absolutely true. But at the end of the day, it's true. This flight is going to fly without you. Whether or not you are on it, that carbon is going to be admitted into the atmosphere. But, but Phil, isn't it as simple as, and a lot of airlines offer this, just three bucks as carbon offset. Does that actually achieve anything, do you think? Or are we clicking that button 
to make us feel better about our carbon footprint? I think I think it's both. Um, one should absolutely do the due, due diligence to see what sort of carbon offsetting initiatives this airline is actually um, investing in. Um, are they planting trees? Are they rolling out clean energy sources in developing nations? What exactly are they doing? Um, there is definitely a lot of information. There's conflicting information about how effective different methods of carbon offsetting are. I think that the prevailing opinion among climate activists right now is that um, investing in clean energy sources is one of you know the uh, best ways to reduce carbon around the world. And so it really depends. One should look at where is this carbon offsetting money going? And if the initiatives that are um, done by the airplane or by the airline aren't really in line with what you believe is a responsible use of those funds, then you can always find a different organization to donate. Alex, thank you so much. Really value your your input. And and in in particular, what I will take away from this is, and I am a light traveller, but you're right. Do you really need to take your surfboard to... Uh, to Indonesia when you can equally hire one and, you know, give back to to a local company. I think that is one of the takeaways from this chat for me. Thank you so much for having me. I really value the opportunity to talk about something I've been reflecting on and trying to educate myself about. Um, And, no, I I don't have the answers. I'm not a climate scientist. Um, but I think that at least looking at these numbers has been for me personally, very eye-opening and has made me be able to travel more critically and think, um, more honestly about how my behavior and how my adventures, um, really do affect the planet for future generations and so i really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you guys today it's a pleasure alex and you might like to check out that infographic in our show notes and you may also like to share what you've done to reduce your carbon footprint by emailing podcast at worldnomads.com yep good idea let's hear from you next week an engaged couple who traveled around the world for a year exploring marriage customs in all those diverse cultures, does it tear them apart or bring them closer together? Clickbait. Find out in the next episode. <laughs> See you. Bye.